As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The culture is the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landish, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ari, have you uh, been gifted any $200,000 cars recently? Mm-mm. No. no. That, what, I, uh, what the hell are we doing here? Yeah, no, I mean, we're uh, we're not the face of the Ohio State football program. So, I mean, maybe, maybe one day. I don't know. That's debatable with you. Um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, I would probably just settle for a Hyundai Impreza if uh, you know somebody wanted to give it to me. Listen, I, I as I've driven a Hyundai Elantra, and I currently drive a Subaru Forester, and it, Forester, and it gets me where I need to go. I saw your old car in a parking lot uh, the other day, the, the red one, the red yeah. Hyundai, and I was like, "Oh, that's the that used to be the Dollar B car." It's funny; uh, it was a very small car. If you saw me standing next to it, you think, yeah, I no, know, I still I don't, still don't know how you fit in that thing, but you know, all the power to you. So, you, said it was, uh, you always said, how do you, well, I said, why do you drive that thing? And you're like, it's free. I was like, okay. It was, it's free. It was my mom's car and it became my car. Yeah. It was free. Yeah. I've, paid uh, off is good. That's right. That's right. That's my kind of car paid off. Uh, CJ Stroud's car is also, his car, car is also paid off. The one he got from, I don't know, some dealership in Canton, I guess, that people were freaking out about, which is like, I guess, freak out about it. I don't know. Like that, that to me is like a, a college ball player getting a car is like, whatever. I just feel like that's like the new normal. It's like, okay. I mean, I'm happy for CJ Stroud. Nice for him. But well, the thing about it is, is that it's a, that it was reported to be a Bentley. So it's like, it's not like an F 150 or a nice, I mean, like a Bentley is like the, 
epitome of wealth. You know what I mean? It's like something that yeah. that the quarterback of an NFL team would be driven in. So I don't know what he ended up getting. Did you figure that out? I think it was it was a G wagon that I actually think might. But it makes sense that it would cost more than what the some G wagons are like two hundred grand. So yeah, I think this. I think it was initially a hundred and fifty thousand dollar Bentley, and now it's a two hundred thousand dollar G wagon. Yeah. So what's the terms of that? Like he gets to drive it for a year and can't put more than eleven thousand miles on it. I actually think he has to get like he's expected to get a new car like every two months or something like that. So maybe he'll get the Bentley eventually. Yeah, I don't. That'd be a pretty cool, pretty cool deal too. Yeah. Just you know, CJ Stroud. Hey, CJ, what are you driving this week? Just yeah. Make a post out. I mean, of I saw that Quinn Ewers is driving an Aston Martin. Yeah. With a burnt orange interior. Right? Yeah. That's pretty yeah. badass. You know, what I, I saw know somebody, is, I saw somebody comment like, okay, and what are his teammates driving? It's like, you got to get over that guy. Also, also nice yeah. cars, by the way. <laughs> yeah. And probably and the thing too, is that like some of those like lifted F one fifties are also 120,000 bucks. Yeah, of course. So, you know, I don't understand the car, like this car dealership in Akron or Canton or wherever it is. I don't know how they make the dollars and cents work on that because you're depreciating assets at a pretty rapid pace that are worth a lot. But at the same time, it's like, are they going to have a huge uptick in sales in Canton, Ohio, because CJ Stroud drives a G wagon or like, I don't even know what all I know is he has a G wagon. I can't remember what the dealership's name is. Yeah, I don't remember either, but I would like to. I've always, I've wondered it too. If Rick Reichert listens to this podcast, uh, could he reach out to us and tell us what the dealerships get out of that? Because I've I legitimately that think that if you called Rick Reichert and you got a story about like he, how much do you have for an advertisement budget, how much do these cars depreciate, and how, how like how do the numbers work, I would read that because everybody that's been like the 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 discussion since the beginning of time when it comes to you know cheating in college football. It's like oh, what kind of car? I, I remember specifically when. Terrell Pryor and Trussell got in trouble. Like TP like showed up to the Woody for the meeting, like the big time meeting, you know, yeah. at the end of it, after everything, like shit hit the fan and they like called the team in and like Terrell Pryor drove in like with a brand new 350 Z that, and I was just like, that's a really nice car. I'm not sure I would have driven that to this event while yeah, I, reporters are standing out by the Woody, like taking pictures of people walking in as the program's on fire. When uh, when people were freaking out on Twitter about C.J. Stroud's Bentley, I, I almost tweeted, but I decided not to. I, I was going to say, finally, college football players are being gifted nice cars. It took too long. Yeah, you know, and it's like that's the number one rumor, but I still don't know. Like, if they they don't give them the cars, it's not it's not C.J. Stroud's property, right? Yeah, he's just like an authorized driver. But even so, if you're giving somebody a two hundred thousand dollar car and they drive it for six months or a year and they put twenty thousand miles on it or whatever they do. You're appreciating the asset by 30,000 $30, bucks potentially. And it's like, are they getting $30,000 worth of, of advertisement revenue or value for whatever they're doing? And if they do that 10 or 15 times per player on the team, because like Rick Reichert's given people, I mean, I guess we're saying his name on our podcast. So that's like the yeah. deal, but we're dealing. You give 10 or 15, <laughs> we're dealing. If you give uh, 15 people a car and they all, depreciate by you know fifteen thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars in a given year that means that you've sunk in hundred and fifty thousand dollars into that as a as a uh advertisement budget and like are you going to see hundred and fifty thousand dollars in business increase like are people in columbus like oh, i need a new car well i might as well just google rick Riker. maybe they are like yeah. i don't know but it just has always been an interesting thing to me yeah i i think it's a good question but i also think in some cases just like 
I don't know, the dealer's a huge Ohio State fan and doesn't mind doing it. And if it helps Ohio State, they're all for it. And like, it doesn't really matter what their bottom line is, I guess, when it's all said and done. If your business is that good, it doesn't matter. I guess good, good, good for you too. But yeah, I've wondered about the value of some of that stuff as well. This is not, by the way, an, an entire podcast about um, the value of giving a college football player a car. Uh, we do have a guest on this episode of 4 to 6 with AMB. We talk with Pete Sampson, the Athletics Notre Dame beat writer. Uh, sort of like a preliminary discussion about Ohio State and Notre Dame. Um, a, a lot of it is kind of recruiting centric and like trajectory of Notre Dame stuff, not like super nitty gritty. What's going to happen on the field when the two teams play? We'll get to that for sure before before that game happens in September. We wanted to have Pete on to kind of get the ball rolling a little bit on some Ohio State Notre Dame talk as we get closer to the season. So that's that's later in the episode. Um, but before we get to that, I uh, wanted to hit on like a couple stuff, a couple things from a couple stuff. I'm not a thought. A couple things from the, yeah, a couple things from the recruiting camps I went to uh, earlier this week. Um, Ohio State had camps on Monday and Tuesday. Uh, I'm already dreading next week's because next week they're Tuesday and Wednesday, and Wednesday the high is like 94. It's going to be brutal, but it's also looking like it's going to be a couple good days of like actual prospects showing up too. Um, so I'm going to have to be there. Unfortunately, get your uh, get your liquids in. Yeah, yeah. If I'm walking around shirtless at the Woody, don't judge me. <laughs> it's just it's a, it's a necessity. When it's, it's tarp like, off season. So yeah. It's that <laughs> uh, yeah. I think the most notable thing already that happened this week is a, on the, on kind of on that front. Actually, it didn't have much at all to do with Ohio State camps, but it's certainly recruiting uh, related. They offered Brock Glenn, um, three star quarterback from Memphis. He's uncommitted. He's an Elite 11 finalist. I think I've mentioned his name before on the podcast when we we're talking about guys. Buddy, if you're not options. out in LA for this thing, I don't know what you're doing. <sighs> When is that? I mean, it's probably too late. It's too late. Now. It's not. Too, what do you mean too late? For me to pitch it and book a flight and go out there? It took me three minutes to do all that. No, no. I mean, I could book a flight to LA in 30 seconds, but I mean, like, yeah. to like ask to go. Ohio State has offered nine quarterbacks in this cycle. Seven of them are top 100 players. Two of them are outside of the top 100, and they're both going to the Elite 11. Yep. Also, Nova I find Yeah, I find that to be Brooklyn. interesting enough. Uh, I'm going to, they're probably going to get one of them, right? Well, I don't know. Cause what's, what's your read on is like, it's offering Brock Glenn. I think like while he was on an official visit to Auburn or like maybe right when he came off an official visit, it was to Auburn, definitely right when he came back, I think um, he, had, he had literally just posted pictures of him in an Auburn uniform. And then it just tweeted, please to announce that I got an offer from Ohio state. Yeah. Um, I was wondering how Ohio state was going to play that. Cause I thought, like they offered Austin Novosade after he came up here and he threw and like, he was, he was good. Like I, I liked what I saw from him um, and I wrote about it. You can go read it at the athletic, the athletic.com slash four dash six. But I thought like they would wait on him, but I also don't think they can really afford to do that if they want a guy, because I think he's going to drag this out a little bit. He's going to visit other schools. I think there's some not fear, but the, some wonder if like Texas A&M is going to offer him. And if he does, I think people think that's the ball game. He'll go there. Um, so in the meantime, I think they kind of had to offer Brock Glenn. But like when you see that, do you think like, oh, they just don't think they're going to get Novosad, so they had to offer Glenn now? I think it's one of those things of just like we like both guys. If you want to take your time, that's fine. Go ahead. But we're going to, you know, I mean, it's the same thing that it always is. I mean, I didn't find that to be odd. Yeah, I guess I didn't find it to be odd either, but I was just kind of curious how they would play it. Um, I feel like playing it that way is a the thing that you know for sure is that Ohio State really wants a quarterback in this class, which I think was right. a debate a month ago. You know, I think that to me is just like a a statement that you could say, hey, you know what? Ohio State doesn't just want a quarterback, but they want a good one in this cycle. Um, and if they like both guys and, you know, 
you know, what, what are you going to do? Not yeah. offer one. If one person's waiting, like there's no such thing as waiting. It's like, if you wait, then we shop, right? Like that's the way that's it works. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. And I also think that they're like similar prospects where like, if it was like Dante Moore and Austin Novosad, like, I don't, I don't think you do that, but, um, but I that's think, right. the guy, yeah, but I think they're similar enough prospects that you feel comfortable doing it. Brock Glenn, I talked to Brock Glenn, like Brock Glenn, excuse me, like very briefly, probably two weeks ago, three weeks ago now at this point. Um, and at the time he said he was hopeful to come up to Ohio state for a visit, um, possibly to camp. I know the Corey Dennis has been to Memphis to see him, but as far as I know, Brock's never been to Columbus. Um, so now we're just kind of on alert to see if he sets up an official visit, um, whether or not he comes for a workout and actually throws for Ryan day and, and Corey Dennis. That's, that was the one thing about this. that was interesting for me is that like Austin Novosad had to come up here and throw to earn his offer. And Brock Glenn did not. Kind of messed up. Kind of, I don't know. <laughs> Seems pretty messed up. I so, don't know. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess there's certain evaluations that, you know, require something and, and some that don't, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I think it's just a, a, a timing thing. I think, I think there was, there was like, there's real momentum, I think for Auburn and Brooklyn and like Ohio state, I think wanted to officially put itself in the competition before, Brock decided he was going to commit to Auburn in that post visit glow. So I think that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, a couple other chess, things. Man. Chess. Chess. That's right. That's right. A couple other things quickly uh, from camp before we get to talk with uh, Pete. Um, one interesting offer I thought that Ohio State put out this week was in class of 2025 to a receiver named Winston Watkins, who is the cousin of Sammy Watkins. He's from IMG Academy. He's a Texas AM commit already um, in the class of 2025. That kid was dusting people at this camp, like just embarrassing every single person he went up against. Uh, again, I think we is he small. That. He is small. He's, okay, he looked very small in the pictures. He's, uh, I don't know what he's listed at. I would, I would guess that he's like five eleven. Um, Says five ten, one seventy two. Yeah, yeah, five ten might be more apt. And if you told me he was shorter than five ten, I might believe you. He is small. Well, you can't judge people from up there. That's true. I am very tall. Everyone appears short to me. Hey, did you play basketball? <laughs> what's, what's the weather like <laughs> up there? Shut up. Uh, he's really he's really good. Like he got the full court press from Brian Hartline and, and Ryan Day. Um, it's so like early in his recruitment. He's only a 25 kid. Like I'm, I'm not getting like super concerned with anything relating to it, but I do find it interesting that like Texas A&M has all this momentum and Ohio state is now going to, in theory, try to flip a kid from Texas A&M's 2025 uh, recruiting class. Um, and it's at receiver. So if you're ever going to do it at the, at the position, you'd pick receiver for them. To do yeah. It. Also too, it's like, he hasn't even gone through puberty yet. So, I mean, at a certain point he might, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm always a, a big, like family tree kind of guy, you know, and I think mm-hmm. he has another cousin too, that, Played college football, doesn't he? He does. Yes, I don't. I, the name Austin is Watkins. Cool. I just looked it yes. up. Wide receiver at UAB, 2018 to 2020. Signed with the 49ers as an undrafted free agent. Yeah, Sammy Watkins was a dog, though. Sammy Watkins a was a dog. Uh, is a dog. Uh, not they're unless Winston's going to grow a couple inches. They're not the same kind of guy. Mm-mm. But that's what the other thing that's funny about. Like he he like ran his 40. They run 40s at these camps or hand time at the times or whatever. Um, but I think he ran like a like a four, four something. Um, and like, or maybe like a high four, four. And maybe that's the kind of thing where you'd be like, Oh, I don't know about that. But then people are like Garrett Wilson ran that when he was a sophomore in high school too. Like, don't worry about it. <laughs> we find like there's, there's so much growth these guys can do. 
um, at that. You get faster like that. as your muscles develop and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just, but he's like, in terms of like route running and just like creating separation, um, he was really good at a really young age. And uh, also, he's got a little bit of a, he was talking shit. He was, he, they were, they were back to back reps where some kid, I don't, I don't know who he was, um, like just like grabbed him, just like a, a one, like a one play, he like bear hugged him so Winston couldn't get the ball. And then another one, the kid was like running with him for 20 yards while tugging at the back of Winston's shirt. And like Winston couldn't get to the ball. And then the third time they went up against each other, like Winston just totally mossed this kid in the corner of the end zone and he popped up and he said, That's what happens when you don't hold me. I was like, Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're into that. <laughs> I, like, I like this dude. So, um, just a name to, to kind of keep in mind uh, for Ohio State in the future. And then uh, one more name that I want to mention that I, I don't know if he's going to end up being an Ohio State guy. And honestly, if he does, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to reaction to it. His name is Jordan Hall. He's a 2023 offensive tackle. He goes to KIPP school in Columbus, which is I, I, it's a school that I think is like relatively new, um, but they've had a football program for a couple of years. Are we sure that it's a real school? Yes. Yes, okay. it is. I am sure. I am sure that it is a real school. Um, He's six eight, and I, I would venture to guess probably like three hundred and twenty ish pounds. Um, has only been playing football for a year, but he's going to be a senior this fall. He's a tackle body, obviously super long, super tall, and he camped twice last week. I think he's coming back again next week. He doesn't have a, a profile. He's got a Penn State offer. He's got some other offers. Like he has not, one now. Yeah, he's got. He he does not have an Ohio State offer. He's trying like hell to get one. I don't know if he's going to get one. And he's certainly not their top target in a class where they need offensive tackles. But like, I still think they need two. like, they just need tackle bodies. And um, I'm very curious to see if it gets to the point where they feel comfortable. He's reporting him. a Penn state offer on in his, in his profile. I don't know yeah, if that's his, real or not. His Penn state, uh, the timing is where like his Penn state offer was like kind of early. And then he, and then he still like went up and camped. I think, um, I think they're taking that group to West Virginia next week too. Um, so I think he'll get more offers just because, like, you, you see the kid. Like, I, it's easy. To, I think they get infatuated with him. Like, watching him do one on ones, it's like, I like it's you don't see it yet, but I think you can convince yourself that there's upside there. Like, maybe similar in the way you convince yourself that Dewan Jones had a ton of upside. Um, like Trey Larue was another really big kid that Ohio State offered early. I, I think that Jordan is is probably more like Dewan than he is like like Trey, but um, just kind of wondering if Ohio State is going to offer him and like they're bringing him back to camp for a third time. Um, I don't know. That's not nothing, but I, I'm still, I'm not totally sold on the idea of him being an Ohio State kid just yet, but I also won't be shocked if he's someone they take a flyer on here in the 23 class. And if worst case scenario, they, I mean, if you think about names, a five nine running back named Jordan Hall and a six foot eight offensive tackle is is that like the twins yeah. of Ohio yeah, State football? Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Jordan Hall, the running back. No, no, I just it's just two different types of people. You know what I mean? By the way, you know the last time an Ohio State player returned a kick return for a touchdown? I think it was Jordan Hall. Was that like two thousand nine? Twenty ten. Yeah. Yeah. It's like I like it's like one of those things like Sam Hubbard played lacrosse that think people throw out all the time. That's like yeah. I think it's an interesting nugget. It's like, yeah, no shit, dude. We've been hearing it forever. Sam Hubbard's a dog in the NFL now, huh? Yeah, really good. There was a picture, uh the Bengals like tweeted the picture of Sam Hubbard, Joe Burrow, and Kerry Combs the other day. Kerry Combs is wearing a Cincinnati shirt. And honestly, I've noticed that uh, Sam Hubbard is popping up a lot in sports cards these days. All of a sudden. I feel like that's a guy who like his cards don't have a ton of value, but I think I wouldn't mind collecting them. I like Sam Hubbard. 
Yeah, and every breaker calls him Sam Hubbard. <laughs> like they don't know. Sam Hubbard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, should we talk Notre Dame? Yeah, let's talk Notre Dame and bring on Pete Sampson. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Pleased to welcome on to four to six with A and B, our Notre Dame beat writer. He is the co-host of the Shamrock and Notre Dame podcast that he hosts with Matt Fortuna, who's like probably the second or third best Penn State Daily Collegian alum who works for the Athletic. Um, well, we, we don't know. We'll never get an answer to that. Uh, Pete Sampson, thank you so much for joining us. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's um, yeah. This is. I feel like the Notre Dame Ohio State game. We could do a podcast every week from now until September third, and people would be voraciously listening to it that would make uh, our programming much easier so if you're yes. down with that i am too all right let's do i it. mean does it feel like we are this far along into the summer already like because like we're I, I noticed that like all podcasts in general about college football are starting to get into like over-unders and an opening game and non-conference it's like we are really speed racing towards the season again i, I think i saw somewhere it's like 80 days until that until that game yeah it's i i feel like this mid-june is sort of where there's like this momentum to the off season that's just like you can't stop it anymore uh and then all of a sudden it's like this camp and like i'm landis is giving me hotel recommendations and like i'll be i'll be there next week um, what was the hotel recommendation um so it, what was it the short north area the moxie i told, I told so, on the moxie in the short north. yeah that's yeah. a good one yeah it's okay. a, you're right in the action yeah, no, I'm um, a big fan of Columbus. I've only been through there a couple times, but um, that's I. It's a it's a good spot. I, I anticipate that we will have a live podcast somewhere. Drag Fortuna out for this one, um, but yeah, we should have live programming around this around this game. Yeah, that's that's the hope. I think it's on me to like figure out a location <laughs> and stuff like that. So I need I need to get on that. But as we mentioned earlier on this show, and I think you guys have mentioned on the Shamrock too, we're hoping to get something like that together. Uh, we're gonna have a lot of time, I think, to get like very much into the weeds on this game. We're not really gonna do that today. We're gonna talk a little bit about it and sort of the anticipation of it. We'll, we'll certainly talk some recruiting because that's Ari's wheelhouse, and and you know these programs intersect more and more every year when it when it comes to recruiting. Um, but before we, and get I also into- think too, not to interrupt you, but isn't like the landscape oh, what you recruiting? Do. A- I'm sorry. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> should I just stop talking now? Or I I just- I just, I'm not actually that upset about it. Um, the landscape of recruiting Ohio is changing quite a bit. So I think that's interesting too. So yeah, anyway. yeah, for sure. Sorry uh, for interrupting. That's all right. I'll let you know. We can talk. Yeah. Uh, thanks Pete. How long have you been covering Notre Dame? 21 years um i think i think this will be my 22nd season so my first year was 
Bob Davies last year in 2001. So I, I actually remember Marcus Freeman, the recruit, visiting Notre Dame. Um, and like, oh, are they going to get him? They feel like he's a good fit here, blah, blah, blah. Uh, too bad his dad is a huge Ohio State fan and just never never was all that realistic. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long time. But I've this trip for me, like going to Georgia in 18, I think it was 18, no, it was 19, was incredible. Oh, going to Oklahoma in 2012 was very cool. And I feel like this one is going to be right up there with the the best road trips that I've covered as far as Notre Dame goes. What were you doing in 1996 when these teams last played a regular season game? Ooh, um, I was a freshman at DePaul University um, in Greencastle, Indiana. Uh, and I was covering the basketball team where the sixth man was Brad Stevens. Oh, so that's, that's nice. what I was doing in 1996. I didn't know. I didn't realize you were responsible for creating Brad Stevens. Yeah, that's great. No, I, yeah, I was good for you. I had a, I had a lot to do with that. So um, yeah, some very glowing articles in the Depaw about uh, Zionsville's own Brad Stevens. Uh, and in 1996, uh, I was I was eight. Ari, what were you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Am I allowed to talk again? Yeah, you are. <laughs> uh, I was uh, nine years old. Nice. Yeah, not writing about Brad Stevens back then. Is it? Uh, I'm curious, like Pete, the, the Notre Dame like viewpoint on this, like how much of an appetite has there been for, for this matchup? You know, they played in the Fiesta Bowl a couple of times since they last played in the regular season, but it's insane to me that these teams don't play more regularly in the regular season. They played in 35 and 36, 95 and 96, and that's it. Um, how much of an appetite has there been in South Bend to get this game on the schedule more regularly? I, I don't know if there has been. Um, some of that might have to do with how the Fiesta Bowls went. Um, it's not like, oh yeah, let's do that again, but go to Columbus this time. Uh, and I think that Notre Dame, there's, there's more of an appetite to have Michigan come back and be more regular than probably Ohio state. But I, but I do think there's, there's a lot of interest in this game. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, but I don't think anyone around Notre Dame is like jonesing to play Ohio state four times in 10 years in, in the regular season, I think, but I think this is a very cool home and home the same way that Oklahoma was Texas, Georgia, A&M's coming up, Alabama's coming up. Um, so I, I think there's a, there's a ton of interest about it. Um, but I think people have sort of been satiated a little bit by those Fiesta Bowls and also sort of like, Hey, Ohio state is really frigging good. So this isn't something that you just walk into and be like, Hey, cool scene guys. Um, it's, it's a very, very difficult game for Notre Dame. I don't know if it's just me, but I just feel like when you see Notre Dame playing Michigan and when you see them playing Michigan state and some of the Midwestern powers that this would just be a great annual game. Like if they were able to, to get to a place where they would do that, it just always felt like it was weird that they didn't play. It's, it's strange to me that it has not happened more than it has, um, you know, I, I, I would love to see Notre Dame sort of rotate. And I guess they are sort of rotating through the Big Ten a little bit with Michigan, Michigan State, Purdue is being in-state. Like, they play IU coming up, which is kind of whatever. But, you know, I'd love to see yeah, Wisconsin. Um, I'd love to see them do a home-and-home home with Iowa. Um, you know, get around the Big Ten a little bit more. But, you know, I mean, Ohio State's top of the class there. So this is – this year and next year is – it's such a good measuring stick for Notre Dame – as a program 
um, in a lot of reasons, in a lot of ways. But I think one of them is like, I think Notre Dame looks at Ohio State and they look at Clemson and think we can sort of get to that point because the way that those two schools have constructed their football programs is a little bit more in line with what Notre Dame wants to do than like LSU or Georgia or Alabama. So I think that's part of the intrigue is it's like, okay, if Ohio State can do this, if they can be a Midwest school that recruits nationally, um, I mean, Notre Dame recruits nationally as well, but Ohio State does it at a higher level. Um, it's a it's a good measuring stick for Notre Dame in a lot of ways. Does it does it help uh, Notre Dame fans maybe come to that realization when they look at Ohio State and see that half the people in the building were once at Notre Dame? <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, and now it's like we're a little bit vice versa now with uh, Marcus and Laronitis um, and those guys. But yeah, it's uh, I mean t- when Tony Alford left for. Notre Dame, that was a real blow, I think, to the the program here because it's like when you're losing guys on lateral moves, um, sort of lets you know where you stand in the pecking order. Um, so that's, you know, that's something, you know, Al Washington now is mm-hmm. is kind of killing it in recruiting with Notre Dame. Um, I think they feel fortunate that they, that they were able to get him, um, you know, after the Ohio State staff shuffle. So there's uh, there's so many connections there between the two schools it just it's it's an overwhelming amount of narrative this game it, has it's i was i was trying to run through them all before we got on here uh, and i don't know you might be able to help me more with the notre dame side obviously there's marcus there's al washington there's james laurinaitis is there anyone else on that side that i'm missing i don't think so but i mean you you know you get into lorenzo styles and sunny mm-hmm. styles like that's a big one i mean notre dame's already figuring out all right how do we want to handle this from a media perspective like such a, I think they may have like a, a Zoom with Laurinaitis and Styles and Freeman this summer. Just be like, Get Ohio State way. guys, you know, have at it. Like, ask yeah. all your Ohio State questions now in June or July, so we don't have to come back to this the first week of September. But yeah, it's Ohio State. You got Alford. You know, Keenan Bailey's an Notre Dame graduate was on the staff here a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Riley Jeffers is a support staff there, so I think probably Ohio State people might not know who he is, but. His dad was Jeff Jeffers, who was like the quintessential local TV sports guy here that hosted the coaches show and is sort of like a big name and kind of a legend around, you know, South Bend media. So there's there's yeah, there's just so much to it that, um, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to sort of see are these programs more similar than they are different. Um, that's kind of where Notre Dame, I think, hopes that they can figure out a way to get them to be a little bit more similar. Yeah, uh, a couple. Zach Grant, Ohio State's new director of yeah. player personnel, is a Notre He's Dame here. alum. Worked there. Uh, Tim Hinton was a former Notre Dame assistant, still in the building at Ohio State. Um, of course, Gene Smith played at Notre Dame, and um, you know Urban Meyer's not here anymore, but his imprints are very still, very much still on the program. And and he was also at Notre Dame. So uh, yeah, I think uh, there's it's a. Uh, I know incestual is not the right word. <laughs> But I kind of want to use that word. I don't know that I would use that word. Uh, How about cross pollination? Yeah, cross pollination. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's uh, I don't know. I'd use that word. It's just a, it's just a fun word to say. Yeah. yeah. Does it strike either of you? Oh, where isn't Rudy Rudiger like at Ohio State somewhere now? Or I don't. Yeah, I'm not sure where Rudy's life story has taken him since. Yeah, um, yeah he's. Uh, he is around, though. He pops up from time to time, but I, I'm not sure what his hometown is these days. Does it strike you guys as odd? And I understand that most of the talent in 
the country is in the south and you know some on the west coast or whatever that there's only one perennial powerhouse in terms of winning national championships or competing for them in the midwest and like don't you think there's room like i don't know i i don't know sometimes if i was so locked into the Ohio state world and in that Ohio state incubator for a decade of my life that I don't like view things rationally, but I do think that like Michigan could be better than it is. I do think that Notre Dame can reach the the pinnacle of what, you know, they expect is possible. You know what I mean? And it's just like, why is Ohio state the only place in the Midwest that is competing at this level? I mean, isn't it, I always felt like urban Meyer was the guy that poured gas on that. Um, you know, not that Ohio State wasn't good with John Cooper, um, you know, in, in Jim Trestle, but, and it sounds weird to say because like they won, Jim Trestle won a national championship. But I don't think I viewed Ohio State football under Trestle the way that I do under, did under Urban Meyer and do under Ryan Day, where it's just like this machine yeah. of NFL draft picks and talent and just like overwhelming the Big Ten week after week after week. Uh, but I, I think there is room for Notre Dame to get there. And, you know, I, I've talked to Tony Alford about this in the past, and he's insisted, like, when Notre Dame has the right head coach, there is no reason why it can't be rolling at a level like Clemson, um, maybe not at Ohio State, but, like, winning in the playoff, like that kind of, that kind of program. But they haven't, they haven't had a head coach that's been dynamic enough and recruiting to, to get the talent to do that. Um, now I feel like maybe they have that. So that's, so then we probably we'll agree see. then did Brian Kelly get Notre Dame to the ceiling? Uh, I think Brian Kelly got Notre Dame to Brian Kelly's ceiling. I don't think yes. Brian Kelly got Notre Dame to Notre Dame's ceiling. So no pressure on Marcus Freeman. No, no. I mean, you're, I mean, you're following the all time wins leader here which is like you can look at it that way or you're following a guy who never won a major bowl game got waxed in the college football playoff in in both appearances made the BCS national championship game like don't get me wrong it's a hell of an accomplishment here to do that but just got blown off the field by Alabama in about a quarter so there's another Ohio state connection <laughs> yeah, yeah, it happens, happens to the best of us. So, oh well, yeah, ass kicked at Alabama and being in the game might have not happened had Ohio State not been suspended that year. Early. Oh right, right, yeah, right. That yeah, was a, I think it was a twelve and zero Ohio State team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I just think that is Notre Dame ever going to have as much talent as Ohio State or Alabama or Georgia as they're currently constructed? No, but they can close that gap in some serious real ways. And I think that they're starting to do that with Marcus Freeman as head coach. Um, And you don't like, I don't think you, you need to have more talent than Alabama to beat Alabama. Yeah. But you, you gotta, you gotta be closer than you are. And I think that's, that's where Notre Dame's trying to go. So I, I don't know. We'll, we'll learn about, I know Marcus has technically one game as a head coach under his belt. I don't, that was like a weird scenario. I don't, I don't think we know much about Marcus as like a head coach when it comes to what's going to happen on the field. We'll learn that in due time. But from what you're talking about, the talent acquisition and looking at Notre Dame being atop of the recruiting rankings right now, albeit very early, like 
people are, are people believing already that Marcus Freeman is that guy that's going to take Notre Dame to the next level in terms of recruiting and, and getting that roster where it needs to be like you're talking about? Yes. Um, I, I think there's a, there's a lot of evidence already that this is going to work for, for Notre Dame and, and Freeman. It's uh, you know, you've Keon Keeley, a five-star defensive end that's committed from Florida. Um, they have to hold all these guys, obviously. Um, they're likely to get CJ Carr, Fringe five-star prospect at quarterback uh, on Thursday night out of Ann Arbor. You know Peyton Bowen's a top hundred safety from Dallas that they have right now. So it's uh, they haven't signed enough top hundred prospects. They're not even in the ball game with five-star prospects in terms of you look at when we write state of the program and you do sort of the how how they recruited from 2019 to 2022. Notre Dame's sitting there with one five-star prospect in Michael Mayer, who's incredible, but you when you try to go against teams that have a dozen of them like what do you think is going to happen on Saturday when you play so mm-hmm. Notre Dame's probably a couple of years away from this recruiting showing up it's, it's not going to make a difference on September 3rd of this year but um, down the road there's a hope that all right if you keep doing what you're doing now if this is the new standard for Notre Dame recruiting then the roster is going to be a lot better when they run into teams in the playoff in the future yeah, I think five stars is a pretty good metric for that, you know, trying to figure that out. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, as I've kind of settled into this recruiting role that I've, I've realized that it's not just five-star prospects. I think it's elite level four-star prospects too, like top 100, top 125 players. Um, and I think off the top of my head, doesn't Notre Dame have like five or six committed already? Um, at least five, six committed in the top 125 which yes. is atypical for them, you know? So it's like, they have one five-star prospect and that's great, but I want to see classes that have eight to 10, you know, top 100, top 150 players. And I feel like they're already on the verge of signing maybe one of the best classes in, in program history, especially if they, if they can close out in a good way, you know? So, you know, I know that people have different opinions about how much recruiting matters than I do, or whether it's 80% of the job or 50% of the job, but I feel like there are enough players out there who can qualify academically and would fit into the Notre Dame, you know, way of doing things to help them be in that top five range on an annual basis. There's no doubt about like the whole idea that like Notre Dame, I get it. It's harder to get into than every other program that's trying to compete for a national championship. But there is a big gap between that and like, oh, you can only recruit 10 of the top 100 players. That's not true. That's not um, true, yeah. No, Notre Dame, even the most defensive Notre Dame assistant coach would admit that they can get at least a third of them in. And I I swear that number is is over half. Um, and I think there's a self-selective power to that too. If if you're a prospect who has a 4-0 or a 3-5 in high school, like you're probably going to be looking at Notre Dame more seriously anyway. So I think that... Notre Dame just has not had the appetite or the head coach to get into these battles with Clemson and Ohio state and Alabama and Georgia for prospects. And, and now they do so that I think you're, you're already sort of seeing how that's benefited them. And when you go out, like after the spring game, I went to see this, there's a four-star offensive tackle named Charles Chagusa, who's, you know, from Illinois, kind of Iowa border. And I said, you know, who's who's the head coach you talk to most? Marcus Freeman, who's second? I couldn't even tell you. 
Like that, nobody ever said that about Brian Kelly. So that's, that's a huge difference in terms of how Notre Dame is going about the process of recruiting. And, and I think some people might be listening to this wondering, like, why are you talking so much about Notre Dame recruiting? Like, I think Notre Dame's recruiting trajectory more than any other program probably impacts Ohio State. And it's not to say that, like, if Notre Dame's good, Ohio State has to come down. But we talk, Ari and I have talked a ton about, like, Ohio State in the context of, like, Alabama and Georgia over the years, as, as we all have on the Ohio State beat. And, like, frankly, the Ohio State versus Alabama recruiting battle, like, never really came to fruition in, like, all that is significant away. Like it happens from time to time, of course. And Georgia happens as well. But I don't know, or you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like I no, feel like it's Ohio, Ohio State Notre Dame. I feel like and maybe like Ohio State Clemson, but I still even feel like Ohio State Notre Dame happens far more often than any other battle we see. Now imagine Ohio State Notre Dame if Notre Dame's Clemson. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, you got the Brent, Brendan Vernon's recruitment. You know, it's, I think that was a surprise when he committed to Notre Dame. Um you know, Ohio kid because like Notre Dame's been always able to go in Cincinnati and get guys that Ohio State wanted, but like that's kind of been it. Like you're not going anywhere else in the state. If if it's just like one or two guys, then that changes things. But I think probably Notre Dame Notre Dame being on the rise in recruiting. You know, Ohio State's done a great job of going into Texas and getting guys. Notre Dame has Braylon James, a top hundred receiver from the Austin area, committed. They're probably going to get Jaden Greathouse, who's like a, a high four-star prospect from the Austin area, to commit here in the next month. Like, I think Notre Dame, if you're gonna, if you're willing to leave the South or you know Texas or California, you, you were probably looking at Ohio State. Now you're probably looking at Notre Dame, maybe a little bit more strongly. So right. I think that they're going to be in contention for prospects who are willing to leave home. Um, if you were looking at Ohio State because they're a big-time college football program. Maybe now you're giving Notre Dame a longer look um, based on how their recruiting is going because you feel like, okay, maybe this is a program that's on the rise too. So, like, I'm, and I know Ari's the same way. And I think anyone who talks about recruiting probably approaches it this way. I'm always very hesitant to ascribe any outsized meaning to one in particular game when it comes to recruiting and program building and, and that kind of stuff. But because these programs play so infrequently and they're going to be on, you know, a major stage here the next two years. I don't know. I feel, I feel it feels like this this might you know be an exception to the rule that one game does not matter so much in this in the scope of recruiting. Do you guys agree with that? I th- I think it. If Notre Dame won it, I'm not saying this because I cover Notre Dame, but I think if Notre Dame won this game, it would have a massive recruiting impact. I think Ohio State can win the game, thirty five twenty one. And you sort of feel like, okay, well, Ohio State's ahead of Notre Dame. We kind of knew that going in. Um, but I think if Marcus Freeman goes to Columbus and wins, the recruiting ammo you would get from that would be significant. Um, you know, if Ohio State sort of holds serve at home, maybe less impactful. But um, look, if Ohio State treats Notre Dame like they treated Michigan State, I think that would be pretty impactful as well. Um, so, well, the game. The game is a measuring stick for for Notre Dame. Like it's like, yeah, you don't you hire a coach who's having an instant impact in recruiting, and that's the number one litmus test to me of like how are things going? Like, is he connecting with kids? I saw the Jay Z thing that he did. Um, you know, selling Notre Dame as as Jay Z is not just thinking about football, but you know, creating an empire. I thought that was interesting way to to sell guys, and obviously the commitments are coming in, but 
from a football standpoint, you know, it's Marcus Freeman's introduction to to being the head coach in the most brutal way possible by going on the road to Ohio State in an opener. Mm-hmm. And I think that he, as a coach, will probably learn, you know, hey, where are we at in comparison to where we want to be? And the fans might, you know, figure that out too. And I guess what you said is true of just like the general assumption is that maybe Ohio State's further along right now. But the question that I have for you, Pete, is where do you think Notre Dame is um, in those in, the, in that race to be Ohio State? And like, what do you think would be an enlightening thing to learn from this game if you're a Notre Dame fan? Um, I feel like we already know that Notre Dame is way off of the pace at the skill. Like outside the numbers, Notre Dame is not close to Ohio State on either side of the ball. So that that is going to be... Um, that's going to be a pretty sobering reality, I think, for Notre Dame in the game. If if you felt like Notre Dame has a chance to win the game, and then you watch Jackson Smith and Jigbo like run by Notre Dame's DBs, like you're like, oh yeah, that's Notre Dame doesn't have a guy like that, nor do they have a guy who can cover a guy like that. So that's that's where Notre Dame is is off the pace. I think that um, Notre Dame probably goes into the game feeling very good about both lines. Um, you know, Mayer is a very special player, but um, it's. I think it's going to be a call to arms for Notre Dame coming out of the game. Be like, we have to get a lot faster at receiver because they just they, they just don't have the players at that at that position. They haven't recruited well. Um, their development has been a little bit spotty. So that's. Um, I think you you sort of win the game with dynamic wideout play right now, and Notre Dame doesn't have it. Is that been the thing with Notre Dame, like in the playoff a few years ago? It's like as an outsider looking in, and you know a lot more about the way that Notre Dame is made up. But I've always thought that when they get to the playoff or they play in these big time games and they don't get the result that they want, it's been the the, the lack of dynamic skill position players. Is that factual? And is that something yes. that um, you know has to absolutely be addressed with the with the recruiting here? A hundred percent. They don't. You know, they ran into Clemson in 2018. That was a Trevor Lawrence, T. Higgins, Justin Ross group. They they had they where they were holding up. And then they had two Notre Dame had two NFL corners. One went out with an injury that had put in a backup, and Justin Ross ate him alive. Uh, and the game was over basically right before halftime. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I think, is is always not always, but usually gonna be very good on the offensive line. They should be good on the defensive line this year too, um, but they lack they lack a player that can go up and get you a jump ball and then run eighty yards with it. They just don't have anybody like that, and they haven't they haven't been able to sort of have a, an assembly line of those kinds of players. And they haven't had a they haven't had a real dynamic quarterback in quite a while either. Um, that might change this year. I don't think it's going to change in Tyler Buckner's first start, but. Um, to have a quarterback who can go out and just make something out of nothing. That's they haven't had that level of athleticism at that position in, in a minute. That's you're kind of dancing around something that like, a, I've started to feel like more and more about this game. Cause it's just like you like Notre Dame has a ton of momentum right now. Like what Marcus is building there, I think is something for Notre Dame fans to be genuinely excited about when it comes to their future. But like, it's not going to change the dynamics much in that first week of September, like I, I the, the rosters are no. what they are right now. And it's just like, I don't, I don't know that I look at Notre Dame as it's currently constructed as a team that can kind of keep pace with Ohio state on the field right now. 
No, I, I mean, it's a, this is kind of a weird thing to say out loud, but I think it's something that Notre Dame fans are sort of getting their head around. It's like Notre Dame would have a better chance to win this game if Brian Kelly was the head coach. Mm. You know, now they have a first, they have a first time head coach who's first road game, um, who is going to be, is a developmental head coach, which is fine, but you have to let him develop. You have to let him learn on the job. And I think to expect him to come in and just have the formula to upset Ohio state, I think is pretty unrealistic. So I think for Notre Dame, it's like, you want, you want to come out of this game feeling like Marcus Freeman figured out a way to get you closer than the talent otherwise would indicate you should be. Um, You don't want to come out thinking like he was the reason you got blown out by 35 points. Like you got to, He's got to figure out a way to make a positive difference. That doesn't mean they they have to win the game like it's not a must win for Notre Dame, but um, he's got to have a good showing in terms of how Notre Dame is organized. You know, you, you can't be down 14 nothing after five minutes the way that they have been against Alabama or Clemson sometimes. Um, and then, then, but I mean, Notre Dame's game plan will be how do you slow the game down? How do you take the air out of the ball? Like Notre Dame knows it's not, it's not a position to go beat Ohio State and attract me. That's that's ridiculous. Um, they're years away from being able to do that, uh, but they have they have enough pieces to, I think, give them a challenge. Um, but you got to have a head coach who knows how to to pull that off. Landis, what year was it when when Luke Fickle came in for the first time? I was just going to get to that. Twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah, and it's kind of reminds me of just like Luke Fickle. I think is probably viewed in college football right now is one of the best you know, young head coaches in the country. And he got a group of five team to the playoff. But the first time he came to Ohio stadium, was that his first year as the head coach at Cincinnati? I think it was his second year as the head coach, but it was his first time yeah. as a head coach in Ohio, an opposing head yeah. coach in Ohio stadium. And he yeah, shit his probably. pants. Like there's no nicer way to put it. Like, <laughs> he, I mean, he, and, and it's like, I feel like if Luke fickle brought Cincinnati into Ohio stadium, now he would be much more, more well-equipped to make that game closer was a 38, nothing, I think was the score. And the thing that I think Marcus Freeman probably has to do is to not get caught. It's like, I feel like playing at Ohio stadium is a bigger challenge for him because of the personal connection to it and how much it probably means to him just to, to, you know, be in that stage where it's like, almost like it'd be better to go to Clemson. So he doesn't have that extra, you know, back mm-hmm. of his mind, Ohio state familiarity, you know, cause I do think that that could, that could mess you up a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, it was Luke Fickle brought Cincinnati to Notre Dame Stadium last year, and they looked pretty good. So, I mean, yeah. they didn't play great, but he had a game plan of like, all right, how do we get out of here, muck the game up a little bit, um, and they did a great, they did a great job of that. So it's that he he's a head coach who has grown into the role. Marcus Freeman is going to have to grow into the role. So that how how what that means on September third, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. Um, that's uh, those sort of already kind of got into the, like the last thing I wanted to ask you, Pico. I'm just kind of curious how you think Marcus might handle all that because I remember it wasn't just that like like well, first of all, Notre Dame is better than that Cincinnati team. So we're not gonna, we're not saying the same things yeah. that happened in, in this game, um, but there are some parallels, I guess, with Marcus and Luke. But I I felt like like Luke made that such a bigger thing than he had to make it. Like no one expected Cincinnati to win that game. Of course not. He like shut off his players from media access that week. Like they wouldn't like even acknowledge the fact that they were like playing Ohio State. Um, and I just think like he made his team 
that was already at a tremendous competitive disadvantage, like way more nervous than it had to be coming into Ohio Stadium because of everything that sort of did in the week leading up to that. And I'm wondering if you have a feel yet for maybe how Marcus might approach kind of a similar situation. I would be shocked if Marcus got tight about the game. I mean, he was he was on that Cincinnati staff, right? Like he yep. was there. He saw uh, it happen. Yeah. You know, it's like he had a front row seat for all that. Didn't look good. Um, so I don't, I don't think Marcus will do that. Um, he seems so far to be pretty comfortable in his own skin in a way that he's not going to make something out of nothing because like, that's what a stereotypical football coach would do. I mean, Jim Trestle is a big advisor of his, um, you know, I, so I, I don't, and I've talked to Marcus about it and he's, he's already, you know, I, I was like, what's your perspective on this game? Cause he gets asked about it all the time. And he's like, yeah, it's a, it's a huge freaking game, but it's not the only game. It's not, we're not playing a one game season. Like right. you can't have this game. It's a measuring stick for the program, but it's not, it's not a total referendum on where everything is. So um, I think he's already sort of thinking like, if you win it, that doesn't mean you're going 12 and oh, if you lose it, well, I mean, that that's not indicative of where the season's going either. So it's, um, I think moderating the game and its impact, good or bad, is important. And I think that he he's already thinking about how to do that, which to me sounds like the exact opposite of what Luke Fickle did in 2019, where it was just like it was the most important thing in the history of man. So that's not Marcus Freeman's approach. Is he just cool? Yes. <laughs> yes. Like, how much do you think being cool matters? Um, if you're recruiting, I think it matters a lot. Because, like, um, Ryan Kelly's not cool. No, nope, as we nope. found out, you know, with no, the not, with the Ruben cool Pfeffer cha cha there. You know, <laughs> I mean, there was. I don't know if you guys saw. I think Ryan Day and Marcus were both at the NFL draft, and they did a segment on ESPN. Yeah. Outside the Bellagio or whatever. And I mean, Marcus Freeman is wearing this like tailored green suit that Bad Ryan on. Day could never pull off. And pretty much 99% of coaches shouldn't even attempt. Um, <laughs> but he's handsome Freeman, too. That helps. Yeah. I mean, he's a good looking man. I will say that. Um, it's interesting, you know, when he gets out on the road recruiting. And the prospects are, you know, the in-home visit. You take the photo with the head coach. I see a lot more moms in the photos now. Um, <laughs> to be more inclined to like, I want, I want to be part of this. So yeah, he's cool. He's young. He's hip. Uh, he's also I jacked. That, yeah, he's in shape. Um, it's just such a change from Brian Kelly, which felt like the kind of stereotypical tired old football coach. Um, the button, and it's like very buttoned-up Notre Dame. I think that's why. There's been such enthusiasm around Notre Dame. It just, it just, Notre Dame just feels younger and hipper and cooler now. And if you're around, spend any time around Notre Dame, young, hip, and cool is not something that those are not terms that people apply to Notre Dame at all. Um, but Marcus Freeman has it. So it's, uh, I think it's a huge difference in recruiting. And I think there's a perception of Notre Dame now where if you're not a Notre Dame fan, you'd be like, all right. I don't really like Notre Dame, but this Marcus Freeman guy, I don't know, there's something about him. Like, I kind of want to see him do well. Um, and that's, Notre Dame just hasn't, I mean, Charlie Weiss and Brian Kelly were not guys that neutral college football fans were like, yeah, all right, I'd like to see more from them. Um, Marcus Freeman is, 
it's just a breath of fresh air, I think, for so many people around this program. But there is something about football in general at both levels, NFL and college, where having a handsome coach seems to kind of pay dividends. Yeah. I don't know. And it's like, I don't know. Unless at least you're the Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, I guess unless you're the Arizona Cardinals. But at least it is. it has kind of been like the thing that is part of the hiring process now. Yeah, um, no, it's the, the young up-and-coming head coach who's former player and probably in really good shape like that seems to go pretty well it's it's worked for the rams just fine yeah i'm upset because like on the andy staple show last week we were talking about really hot coaches and i didn't (laughs) say marcus freeman and i'm upset about it because i'm looking at his google images right now i I just googled marcus freeman handsome and there's all these pictures of him in tailored checkered suits and stuff that you know i I think it matters now the one thing and then i'll let landis ask the the final questions but likeability like Brian Kelly, and I, I don't know the man, and you covered him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't seem very likable as a person. And I wonder how much that can have. A, and, and tell me if I'm wrong. Maybe he was like the coolest dude ever without the nope. <laughs> without the cameras on. <laughs> but if you're not likable, how does that permeate in your program? And if you change from being one of the most unlikable coaches in college football to a young, handsome, cool person who talks about Jay-Z and recruiting pitches, like, does that change the entire vibe of the program? I would, I wouldn't describe it as likable versus unlikable. I would say it's approachable versus unapproachable. Brian Kelly was unapproachable. Um, He would talk to you. He'd turn on the political spin. You'd feel like he was listening to what you were saying. And then he'd turn it off and leave. Um, For his players, he was unapproachable. He was not somebody you felt comfortable talking to. Uh, if you're on campus around Notre Dame, like if you're in administration or academia, he's not somebody you ever saw. Uh, Marcus Freeman has invested an incredible amount of time. You know, he goes, he'll talk to the business school or he talked to the Asian studies program. Um, you know, the faculty board, like he is building so much goodwill and credibility around campus because he's approachable and he's authentic. So, I mean, you, you've gone from a head coach who was unapproachable and was described as a politician, as a, as a compliment, but is also sort of like a little bit inauthentic to a guy who is very approachable and very authentic. And he's just sort of wired that way. Like I went out, followed him on some alumni events just to sort of see like, all right, first time head coach, like how do you do in this role? And I mean, people just sort of can't get enough of him. Um, and he's, he's got a little bit, a lot more like man of the people vibes about him that plays well around campus. It plays well with the fan base, but sure as hell plays well in recruiting. I mean, that's, that's where that matters the most. Mm-hmm. There, there are some parallels there, there, I think with urban Meyer and Ryan day, right. Ari, like it's not, it's not exactly the same. Like I think urban, I would not describe urban as approachable, um, he, but he was just like very much larger than life. And, and maybe that's not quite the case with Brian Kelly. Um, but I think nonetheless, you kind of end up in the same place there. And then Ryan Day is just like more of a normal person, <laughs> just how, yeah. how, how, like a like a human being that like you know you can have a conversation with. Um, I think coaches over time, especially with success, I think that that changes and can change rapidly depending yes. on how quickly that success comes. But I do think there's something there's something happening at Notre Dame that I think is in some ways parallel to what happened with Ohio State after Urban Meyer handed it over to Ryan Day. There was just more of a more of a vibe with the head coach that, that people kind of connected with them on a little bit more of a personal level than I think was happening prior to that, which you know, I think there's, I think there's value in that. 
Yeah, I, I don't think. I mean, you talk to former Notre Dame players; they're just like, I didn't know Brian Kelly at all. And I'm like, how did you not? You were the starting quarterback. How did you not know the head coach? It's like, we just didn't have a relationship, uh, and that's not that's not how it is with Freeman at all. Like, oh, I have yet to talk to a player or a player's family that has said anything like, oh, you know, I, I couldn't get time with him, or you know, he just seemed a little standoffish. It's more. It's much more like, I can't believe he got back to me on this text message in two minutes or less. If you're a player or a player's parent, like, shouldn't he have other things to do? Um, Freeman is much more just sort of like all into the roster and the players and like being as accessible as humanly possible for as long as possible. That's, I think that's, that's, and that's just such a change from where things were for the last 12 years. All right, score predictions given to me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 uh, we'll, I thought uh, you were being serious. What? We'll we'll get we'll we'll get much more into nitty gritty on the game and because I you know I want to I want to do that but we don't have to do that on on June 9th when we're recording this. Uh, so for now, uh, Pete, we'll, we'll let you go. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Make sure you guys read Pete. I'm on The Athletic. He's uh, a fantastic uh, beat writer for Notre Dame. Listen to the Shamrock if you want to learn more about Ohio State's opening opponent. And uh, surely you'll be hearing Pete's voice on this podcast again before that game, and and hopefully we'll get Matt Fortuna on there as well. But until then, thanks so much, Pete. We appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Pete. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, The Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Thank you again to Pete Sampson for joining us to talk about Notre Dame. Again, we'll have Pete on probably several more times uh, but before the Ohio State Notre Dame game I think that's a game worthy of, of having some more discussions uh, before we wrap up Ari anything you want to let the people know you got coming on the athletic nope I, uh, I'm trying to think I've got like 19 <laughs> stories and I don't know like I'm working on a story right now where we are calling um, recruiting coordinators and asking them how they would divvy up their million dollars if they were doing if it was their NIL money like how they would best spend it which I think will be no. interesting. That like, like interesting. how would you, how would you like how would you spend it? Uh, you know, and uh, that'll be it's good. Like one of, it's like one of those things where like you have ten dollars, uh, you have to build a roster of these five players. Yes, kind of like one, that. One well, just like worth five. Yeah, like you would think. Like I, every single recruiting coordinator might just be like, I would just go after a quarterback. It's like maybe they would be like, you know what? We would just make sure we have the best offensive tackles, or you know, like it's just a different viewpoint from from space to space. So yeah, um, can you can you get two premier offensive tackles for the cost of one quarterback? And then if you can, is it? Is what would you rather have, an elite quarterback or two elite offensive tackles? Uh quarterback. I think such a difference maker in college. If you had five, um, five spots for five star prospects on a roster, what would you use those five spots for? Quarterback. Um. Two pass rushers, a ta- offensive tackle, and a receiver. Okay. I said on the other podcast, quarterback, offensive tackle, two defensive linemen in a corner. 
I thought about corner. Corner, like a top, because corner, corner's tough in general, but like top flight corners in college make a world of difference, and there aren't many of them. So if you can, like, I think there are more, much more, many more top flight receivers than there are top flight corners. Yeah. Um, I have uh, the Ohio State fan survey published on Thursday. Um, thank you to those of you who submitted responses. We got over 1,200 of them, which was a lot for me to comb through. I was pissed off at myself the entire time going through that information because of how many open ended questions I get, I had, but um, the responses are really good. Uh, those are up for those of you who want to read it on the athletic. Um, what was the funniest response you got? Uh, Is there one that like you were like, like we're just smiling at? I asked, I asked, uh, what do you like uh, the most about Ryan Day's tenure? And someone said his beard. And then I said, what do you like the least about Ryan Day's tenure? And someone said his beard. I thought that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> was it the same person you think? I don't know. I didn't, look, I didn't look to see if it was the same person, but I thought that was funny. Yeah. Um, There's always a few things that make you laugh in there. Yeah. No, they were really, really good. A lot of uh, well thought out answers. Um, so again, thank you to those of you who, who took the time to do that. Um, and an yeah, update for me too. Um, yeah. Last week it was credit card fraud. Oh, you get it all sorted out. Yeah, well, I had canceled my card immediately, but they got a pizza. Papa's yeah, pizza, twenty one fifty. They definitely did. So it's like if, they they, they gave me the money back. American Express gave me the money back, and I got a different card, so the fraud stopped. And that guy got a pizza. It's like, tell me who lost here. Sounds sounds to me like everybody won. Yeah, like Amex doesn't <laughs> care. What do they care? Yeah. Yeah, good. Honestly, that's great. Yeah, great for. I can go back in time and change that. That worked out. I wouldn't. I'd be like, I want everyone. I hope it was good. I'm gonna try to find this place. Somebody tweeted at me. You should try to find this pizza place because he had one shot to like take my information. Like you could have gone to Walmart and tried to buy like five hundred dollars yeah. worth of stuff. Like his <laughs> one shot was Papa's Pizza. He was just hungry. <laughs> yeah. So like whoever did this, I hope it was good. <laughs> I got so much credit card information. What you buy? What do you want to do? Go to Papa's Pizza and buy one. And buy only one. I spent twenty one dollars on one pizza, and that was it. (laughs) And then the the fun. It's like I I also like laugh at it too because just like how I don't understand. I don't get it. How a person in New York would have my stuff? Probably just through phishing online. It's just like how much effort would it take to get somebody's credit card information? And it's like you finally got that information enough where you can use it because the card wasn't present so he must have ordered the pizza on and it was 10 20 in the morning that's the best part um breakfast pizza yeah and then like he just called it in and used my card over the phone and like that's like he's like i finally got this information i fished or whatever he did i don't even know what that means fishing like i only buy sports cards and pizza on the internet like i don't like there's nothing else that i do and he's like with what am i gonna do with this i'm just gonna order a pizza respect it I, I respect it tremendously yeah good for him good for you i'm glad i'm glad that's all it was and you got to figure it out i'm glad that that person got their pie um and, and the world i think is a better place because of it uh it's a circle that's right uh in addition to the survey uh at some point i think next week it might be the week after i'm going to have like a look back at the recruiting of von recruitment of von bell um which has been kind of fun to do some reporting on um, still have more to do, but I think that'll be a, a fun look back at what was a very important recruitment for Ohio State um, back in back in 2013. Um, and for anyone who cares, I'm also writing the Maryland state of the program. <laughs> I'm excited <laughs> about that. Run later this month. I talked to Mike Loxley this week uh, for that. That'll also run later this month as well. Um, you can read everything we're writing at The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash 4-6 is where you can sign up. Thank you so much for listening to 4-6 to with A&B, and we'll talk to you guys next week.